All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Gym Fair 138 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Brian Niemeyer, the man himself, the savior of science fiction, back to talk about his new Indiegogo. It is Indiegogo, right? It is. Cool. Um, his Indiegogo for his new mecha novel, Combat Frame Exceed Coalition Year 40. Uh, so, Brian, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me. I'll always have a great time. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So, uh, the new novel, I, I assume the last one went off without a hitch. The last Indiegogo campaign went off great. We ended up um, making four times the initial goal if you count in-kind contributions, which I do. How do you mean by in-kind contributions? Non-monetary ones that weren't through Indiegogo. So I had other people approach me and say, hey, you know, I, I really can't uh, spare the change of this, but tell you what, I'll donate some services to help with the publishing. Oh, so like, you know, I'll, I'll beta read for free or something? Stuff like that. Okay. Art, uh, yeah. We had two outstanding artists, uh, Todd Everhart and Art Anon, working on the project. Great to have them. Uh, we're, we're turning out some great new stuff for you guys that we're going to be revealing on social media, my, my Twitter, Facebook, and my blog for the two backers who graciously contributed to build their own Max. Yeah. I was looking at this while I was recording my, um, my podcast for this week, uh, the other day, and I, I was just giving a little plug for it and looking at the different, uh, tiers that you had here. And I noticed that the bottom two were already, already taken. Um, Three people have already claimed to be in the book, and two people wanted to build a mech, so I can't yeah. wait to see what those look like. Oh, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I was just uh, communicating with Art Anon earlier today, and he showed me some sketches, and uh, they're they're wild. I really don't want to spoil anything. But, uh... Oh, for the people who uh, design their own? Yeah. <laughs> Which are canonical. When, when you get that perk... I put them in the books. Oh, it's, it not, it's not like a short story off to the side. It's in the book. Or the first one actually was in the short story that bridges books one and two. But I did a professionally produced ebook with its own cover for that. And uh, DJ Schreffler, our first build a Mac backer, is just all kinds of excited hell i would with, be with yeah <laughs> he, he loves it it's his avatar now <laughs> yeah. i can't say i blame the guy i mean you know you get two great artists like you've got i know Ardenon wants to remain anonymous for a while yet but uh todd everhart's just amazing you said he did the cover before we started recording right yeah he's done all three covers he did the cover for combat frame x seed he did the cover for the short story, The Bridges' first two novels, Comic Frame X Seed, CY2 Gaiden. He did the cover for Comic Frame X Seed Coalition Year 40. And he's uh, he's engaged to do all of them. So, yeah, and if you uh, like the cover, just a free plug for Todd, if you like the covers that uh, he's doing for Brian's work, you can find him on Twitter at Rollcasters. And I'll put a link down in the description to his, uh, to his Twitter profile so you can find him. <clears throat> so, uh... A whole new novel. What? What ha is it? Is it okay to talk spoilers about what happened in between the first two novels? Or sure, we can do some. I will say that if 
your listeners want the full story, they can get it in the aforementioned Comet Frame Exceed CY2 Gaiden, which is available through a special link at the back of the first ebook. And you'll get the short story for free and sign up for yeah, Nova Frontier, which is my exclusive Combat Frame XC newsletter, where I give out uh, special inside dirt, special offers, special deals to our small but growing cadre of subscribers. And uh, we, we have a great time there as well. Yeah, so you're kind of doing the uh, Galaxy's Edge thing with the, with the Galactic Outlaws. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like a good plan. It seems it seems to be working because I remember you uh you had contacted me about doing the podcast and I, I like I had some shit to do in real life that held me up for a while. But I went and checked it when we were setting up the date for this and you are already funded like the, th- the thing is already funded. It's happening, but there's still a whole lot of tears open and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I can't stop it. It's going to happen. It it seems to be growing. I, I don't know if exponentially is the right word because I'm not a math guy, but it seems that there is there is a hunger for this kind of stuff out there. Yeah, that's one of the main reasons I did it. I wanted something that was a little more accessible, less heady than the Soul Cycle. Much as I love that series, I think you'll agree it's crazy fun with an emphasis on the crazy. <laughs> but. Yeah, Mill SF is hot, but then the mech genre, like the real robot genre, which is my favorite subset of Mill SF, is kind of down at heel right now. It's uh, stuck in a bunch of trope traps and self-referential loops. Yeah, it's it's well, a damn shame too, because you know, I, I like being in that that DM group is just. Like seeing all of the different mech shows that I never knew existed, because for me back in the day it was like Zoids and uh, Gundam, of course, and like Big O and maybe a couple of other shows that actually did the mech thing, and of course like you know Voltron and Power Rangers and stuff like that. But um, like I never knew about stuff like Getter Robo and Gal Gygar, and now I've got just a huge list of mech shows that I need to go watch. This stuff used to be so popular right up until like the turn of the century, basically. And then for some reason, mech stuff just fell off. Yeah, there are other folks that you and I know, guys like, um, you know, Ron Barral on Twitter and the Pulp Archivist and J.D. Cowan, who have made more of a study about exactly what happened. But things we discussed before, Neon Genesis Evangelion was one of the big kill shots that everything has been aping since, at least in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then just the dominance of Macross and Gundam, which have just been playing it safe for a couple decades now and just repeating that. Now, you know, now it's time for the Neo, Neo, Neo Zeon War. <laughs> Popcorn. They're just, they're too risk averse. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to take Nicole's advice. I'm going to write what I love, but with an eye toward breaking through these dead ends, to which both MLSF to a lesser extent, but mainly Mecha have devolved. And based on the reviews of the first book, I've succeeded. And I'm not blowing my own horn here. You can go check them out. No, no, I believe you. I believe you. I mean, if if anybody can save the the Mecha genre, it's probably the guy who wrote the Soul Cycle. So. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no pressure. It's just, it's just an entire genre of literature and anime, but 
it's it's coming yeah. along. I see you're even doing like uh, trading cards for this one. Did did you do that for the last book or? Yeah, I did. They were really popular. They were our first stretch goal, and we we got those funded. I put those out. People loved them, but uh, I ordered more than I needed because, well, printing places require pretty high minimum orders, so they're still available. Uh, the first run is as perks for the current Indiegogo campaign. Okay. That's pretty badass. Yeah, and we're just like 150 bucks or less from uh, unlocking a second run of trading cards, which is our stretch goal for the CY40 campaign. So I urge your listeners to go and grab a perk. I mean, I think it would only take like three paperbacks at this point to fund the new trading cards. And uh, these are going to be designed by Todd. Okay. Yeah, this series is going to feature the four X-Seeds that are the main mecha in Coalition Year 40. Okay. So so about the trading cards, is it just like like baseball cards? Like you just have the card and it's just like something nice to look at? Or is it like actually a game? Can you like use these things to fight with like damage counters and stuff like Pokemon or Digimon cards? I'm showing well, my age with the Digimon cards. <laughs> They're actually incredibly useful, I've been told by readers, because on, on the front, you have a nice slick picture of the mech with its name and affiliation. And then on the back, I give its stats. But they're not necessarily game stats. Uh, they're in the format of Burke's All the World's mobile weapons that a uh, couple of mech fan sites like MAHQ and now uh, Gundam Official use. Which, if you're not familiar with that, it's the same style that Jane's Defense Weekly gives for real-world fighter craft. Okay. So it gives like armor material and dry weight and full weight and kilograms of thrust of its engines and the wattage output of its generator and <laughs> little tidbits like that. So what what people like to do is I found it was popular was folks would get the trading card paperback bundle, use the trading cards for bookmarks, first of all. <laughs> they're very good for the very sturdy, but then also if you're reading a mech fight. They're handy because you can just have the book open in one hand and the trading card with the mechs involved in the other and is kind of a scorecard. You know, you can use them as a reference in the fight. So, you know, oh, okay, well, this one's faster, so it'll be quicker on the draw, but this one has more power. Okay. People tend to nerd out like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Mech Warrior video game for this. <laughs> Well, me too. One step at a time. You know, perhaps if uh, we had like a $5 million goal, but uh, baby steps. <laughs> meantime, I'm still hoping that you'll agree to do an audiobook of the, the first volume and seeing the theme song if we hit uh, five grand. I did. I did say I would. Like I say, I, it, nice. might not, it might not be pretty, but, you know, I'll, I'll do it and then I'll let you decide if you want to <laughs> use it or not. <laughs> we'll let the readers decide. So, so there you go, folks. Jim 138 confirmed for... Uh, the the five hundred percent funded here. <laughs> yeah, if if we get up if we get up that high if if we get it up that high I'll I'll do the not only will I do the audio book but I will sing the theme song. Um, that yeah, might be came... that might be bonus material and then he'll get someone who actually knows what they're <laughs> fucking doing to do the real version of the theme song. But <laughs> well, I believe in you. We we came close last time and um, <laughs> we're actually doing a little better 
This time, the, the per cap contribution per backer is up a few cents. Um, and we're at the halfway mark right now. The campaign is halfway over. And we've raised a little more than halfway to the previous goal or the previous high watermark. So we'll see. And there, and there are a couple of big ticket items. It's only still been up left. for a week, hasn't it? No, nah, it's it's been up for two. Two Time weeks. Two, damn. Okay. That's, yeah, I said it for a month and it's halfway over. That's still really impressive that you're, you know, halfway into it and you're already halfway to the watermark from the last one. So, you know, if the hype keeps up, which hopefully it will, uh, you could easily top your neck, your, uh, your last campaign. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best out there and I've given my eye on those two platinum level perks. And it's in interesting you mentioned a short story before because the the big one, like the diamond tier for $1,000, you can commission me to write you your very own short story featuring the character and topic of your choice. I suggest that it be a character from either the Soul Cycle or even my short stories or Comet Frame Exceed in my you know, existing catalog. But if you also want to get the uh, the custom character perk or the they be killed in a book, which let you create characters, you can then use them in your personal short story. Okay. So I'll let it be about you or character you create then. But then I will get a professional cover and format it and release it on Amazon as a professional ebook. And of course you get a contributor copy but you'll you'll be immortalized in the canon of the Soul Cycle or Comet Frame X Seed by me. Have a short story to uh, enjoy and cherish for your lifetime and beyond. Okay, so it's just it's just for either the Soul Cycle or Combat Frame X Seed. It's not like so, like someone wouldn't be able to buy this and then screw with you and say I want you to write a uh, a mech fight between Amaro and Char. Well, for the thousand dollar one, you couldn't because I don't own those characters. Okay, okay. So you wouldn't be able you wouldn't be able to sell that. Like that was that would be something that you would have to put up on like archive of our own or or something like that. You wouldn't actually be able to make any money off of that. Yeah, couldn't sell it. However, I would consider it for the five hundred dollar tier, which is the personal short story where I do everything I mentioned above, but I don't sell it and I don't get it a cover. Okay. Like the five hundred dollar difference between the two is basically for the cover. Makes sense because I mean art, like I know art isn't cheap, so exactly. Especially so. when you have really talented artists who know what they're worth and know that the the art for mo the market for most art on the internet is just complete shit. It's it's ridiculous how low people are selling their skills out there. Well, you know, that's uh, that's the market for you. But uh, I have a feeling that uh, there there's some there's some good guys on white horses out there. So some heroes who are lurking and biding their time and watching this campaign and are waiting till the, like the last minute to swoop in and uh, get one of those, two. So we'll see. But I, I got a hunch. Let's let's hope so. I mean, like you know, you already have a a certain level of popularity with the with the Soul Cycle, the success that that had, and then now there's this whole new thing that nobody else is doing apart from, so far as I know, a couple of other people in the pulp of, um, you know, uh, Bradford Walker, 
Rolnianzi, um, uh, I think JD and Kesser are planning their own things, but I don't think they've actually done anything with it yet. Um, yeah, my buddy Adam Lane Smith is also planning it. Oh yeah, Brometheus. Yeah, yeah, Brometheus is also planning a uh, a Gundam for us story. Yeah, Exceed was just the the first of the punch, uh, partially due to some extenuating circumstances. But uh, I've got an unfair edge in that I'm just a professional author and editor for a living, so I can devote darn near 100 percent of my time to this. <laughs> I, I can see how that would uh, that would help you out in getting ahead of the curve a little bit. So uh, let's let's talk about the actual story itself. So we were we were going to talk spoilers about the the in between story, but I don't remember if we ever got to that. No, we can we can do a little. I don't want to just yeah, just just a little I, like over, like bird's eye view kind of thing of what happens in between the two books, and then on to the next one. Sure. Uh, should we? Do a brief overview of the first book until we, in case we got some new people who didn't hear the last show. It might be helpful, but uh, for those people who didn't hear it, I will put a link to the last show in the in the description. Very good. Okay. So, really quick synopsis. The World of Comet Frame Xseed starts from our own timeline. It speculates on, okay, what happens if all of the social, environmental, economic, moral crises besetting us today come to a head sometime in the, the coming century. And what ends up happening is the elite flee the earth, build clusters of huge space colonies at uh, the earth moon Lagrange points between the earth and the moon. And meanwhile, life on earth just devolves to like almost Mad Max levels and slowly builds itself back up after in a long span of time, like a century or more, life in outer space stabilizes where the space colonists don't have to worry about just bare survival. So they look back at Earth like, oh, oh, good Lord, we need to help these people get back into our level. So they send relief workers to intervene, but the people on Earth who uh, are derogatorily called grounders see the, uh, the colonists as meddlers and are, are rather mean to them. They, they act rather violently their their attempts to elevate them so uh, a guy in the colonies uh who works under the moniker of tesla browning says hey i just uh strapped a minigun onto this uh like ripley style space exosuit construction equipment how about we mass produce these that that should solve the security problem on earth right quick and potion's like hmm, good idea so uh, the, the colonies band together into the systems over a terrestrial coalition with a mandate to re-civilize the Earth. They send these manned 50-foot-tall robots called combat frames to uh, put the grounders in their place. Uh, hilarity ensues. But uh, disparate elements within the coalition start a cloak-and-dagger game of dog-eat-dog -dog to wrest power away from the current, more uh, placid administration. There are, there are a series of double crosses, and somebody truly genocidal ends up taking the reins of the most powerful and wealthiest government in human history, attempts to just sterilize the Earth, and obviously doesn't succeed. I'm not going to tell you how, because there'd be no stories after that. 
uh, <laughs> it's, it's really close. Actually, let's say does and doesn't succeed. Let's put it that way. He comes. He comes just close enough where you can look at it and go, uh, hmm. "Did we really beat him?" Yeah. So, and the uh, the the end game involves the emergence of strong AI and also the creation of the eponymous X-Seeds, which are like the, the Ferraris of combat frames. They're just, these are like just most advanced, most powerful. Okay, so part of, as part of the story, the dictator who seizes control of the coalition changes the calendar and says, right, we are now going to date everything from this year. This year is CY1. Okay. That's yeah, that's where the, yeah, that's where the, the title comes from. Kind of doing a French Revolution thing. Yeah. Well, what this person says is like to mark this current and final year, because again, trying to wipe out the earth. So there's only ever supposed to be one CY year, but uh, here we are. <laughs> so, so yeah, so now uh, in uh, Coalition Year 2, we follow some of the survivors from the first book who head back to Earth to uh, mop up some, uh, well, mop up this one rogue coalition governor who, in the chaos, seized control of Western Europe. And he's got a hold of the former German Republic's nuclear arsenal and is using that to consolidate his power base and spread it throughout Europe. Uh, meanwhile, Nouvelle France is controlled by one, one of the most popular characters from the first book, Jean-Claude Julien. And so it's we're, we're back to the old problem of uh, the Germans trying to invade France and the, the French fighting back only with giant robots this time. I can, so, I can get behind World War II with giant robots. Yeah. So we basically got that, and they're, they're at a stalemate. But uh, coalition-controlled Germany... Basically, they're they're going to win on the margins. They've they've got more people, bigger industrial base, nukes, etc. Et but into this comes Todd Ritter, and he returns to fulfill his goal of taking back Deutschland from the coalition uh, in an accidering plan. To do so. Uh, Prem Narial, who's now Coalition Secretary General, really doesn't like the idea of an independent and nuclear-armed Germany in anyone's hands. So she goes to desperate lengths to prevent that by um, dredging up a certain character with a certain combat frame who were MIA and thought dead at the end of the last book. But... Uh, no, it turns out through the intervention of um, some of the uh, fanatics left over from the army of the, the uh, deposed dictator is back and uh, comes to loggerheads with, with Todd in an uh, explosive finale that uh, changes the course of CY history forever. So... I can tell you that at the end of CY2, we basically have any obstacles to the coalition's complete dominance of the globe removed. So Narial and her coalition are on the march to achieve the SOC's initial goal of 
re-civilizing the earth, but basically by, by dominating it. And you have this ragtag, small group of dissenters who have gone into exile in space, but it turns out they have found a patron who is willing to give technical and financial support to uh, their, their plan to eventually return and free the earth. But uh, because they're starting from square one again, it's, it's going to take time. And it turns out 40 years, in fact, because uh, then we pick up with my current project, Comic Frame Exceed, Coalition Year 40. Does that, I uh, think that gets people up to speed okay? Any questions? I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm all right, because I don't want you to give away more than, uh, more than you want to give away from this. And I, I do actually want people to go and read the books. So <clears throat> I, think, I think we're good and up to speed for now. Right on. Shall we discuss the second book? Just dive oh, right into that. Definitely. Okay. Common Frame Exceed, Coalition Year 40, in contrast to the first book, which I describe as Mobile Suit Gundam meets Tom Clancy, is Gundam Wing meets Ender's Game. Okay. okay. Yeah, you, you got my attention. So. <laughs> yeah, whereas in the first book, I kind of took the, the basic plot from MS Gundam and just turned it inside out, just inverted it. This time... I'm doing my homage to Gundam Wing, but adding in a highly personalized revenge plot. In fact, multiple revenge plots. Because after the events of the first book of the uh, CY2 Guide in Short Story, there are a lot of people with serious axes to grind against the socks. I, it sounds like it from here. Yeah, because one of the ways that uh, they, they finally established dominance over the Earth was they realized, hmm, well, we could keep just sending men and equipment to Earth to fight this perma-war. Or, you know what? We have exclusive control of outer space, and, oh, gee whiz, someone has conveniently left a massive debris field from a uh, an exploded asteroid over the Earth. Uh, so all we really have to do is kind of curtail our cleanup efforts and just uh, let certain of those rocks get pulled in and drop on the world's bread baskets and starve out our enemies. All right, so kind of doing the uh, the Brianna Wu strategy. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's a solid strategy because, okay, if you go in shooting your guns everywhere, knocking over your opponent's statues, you're hearing the limitations of the women, you, you create a certain subset of the population who is just hell-bent on revenge and will come back at you again and again until they're dead. So a man who has had his city walls thrown down, had his father's ashes and his God's temples broken and profaned, will carry a vendetta. If, however, you set up a siege, if you are dealing with a starving man, see, an angry man will, will keep coming at you. A starving man will welcome you when you show up and say, here are sandwiches and smokes. <laughs> so that's what the coalition did. Okay. So they, th did they like make it look like an accident or? Oh no. Like that, so, uh, so everybody on earth knew that they were the ones that were throwing the rocks. Absolutely. Cause they warned him like, Hey, 
like submit to us and like accept our our plan for Earth, or like we we will decimate your major arable farmland with uh, space rocks. And it was really only the Central American and Canadian states that said, "Up yours, we're gonna fight to the last man." Like, okay. We just uh, won't clean these rocks we were scheduled to clean up over North America after all and just let gravity do its thing. And uh, yeah, bye-bye Great Plains and breadbasket states. So damn. Yeah, nuclear winter as well. So everywhere else that could grow at a horrible growing season. So yeah, in comes global starvation. So of course, you then got the other countries that were willing to sign on angry at, at us for not backing down the kind of full metal jacket approach. Like, I'm not going to punish him. I'm going to punish you guys and let you punish him. So. So, so basically yeah. the rest of the world ties America down in a bed and starts beating him with soap wrapped up in towels. Indeed. Except that the soap is also asteroids, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so it eventually, yeah, they just starve us out. We're like, okay. We'll, we'll accept your control. And then uh, socks come in. I'm like, okay, you know, being the space autists there, they're like, wow, some of your major population centers are really far from national natural resource extraction areas and refineries. So what we're going to do is just uh, let's play Sim Earth and let's clear the board. And, ooh, there's a copper deposit over there. So let's put in a mine and a refinery, and then we'll build a town to house the workers with uh, a, a nice central administrative center in the middle for our functionaries and bureaucrats who oversee everything and just repeat. So they just wholesale raised and relocated whole populations and, and moved ancient cities with no regard for their culture, history, or architecture, or art. Just efficiency. Damn. And just put like these unimaginative gray grids all over the planet to extract resources. That's pretty heavy. That's yeah, pretty heavy is, right there. Yeah, which I mean, also pissed off a lot of people who remember the way things used to be. Oh, yeah, I imagine. But I mean, then again, yeah. like these guys seem to be playing like long games. So in 100 years, it's going to have been this way forever so far as everybody who's alive is concerned. Yeah, exactly. They've got, uh, they've, they've got subtle privatized propaganda going to like every uh every every medium you know every movie every pop song is, is like pro coalition and hey let's let's all be friends and get together and let's work together and all that, that sappy stuff a little bit but a little bit of uh 1984 meets they live yeah exactly except the aliens aren't hiding <laughs> <laughs> they don't think they have to and they're wrong because that, that, that group of of what would they be called mercenaries revolutionaries or out in the out in the ether somewhere just waiting for the right time to strike well okay i was just reading up about this as part of the novel research so there there are three kinds of resistance groups when a hostile power takes over territory so what you can get in these circumstances are guerrillas partisans and insurgents. Okay. All right. And the main difference is uh, with, with the first two, they are previously native occupants 
of the territory that's been invaded. And so they're fighting on the home front from inside. So like uh, you know, the Wolverines. Yeah, I was about to say a Red Dawn type thing. Yeah, the guys from uh, Wolverines and Red Dawn are partisans. Okay. Oh, sorry, it's not guerrillas. It's uh, militias, partisans, and insurgents. And so yeah, they're 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 partisans. You know, they're they're citizens being thrust uh, into the situation. So this would also yeah. cover like the Warsaw Ghetto uprising in World War Two. Right. Okay. Then there are insurgents, which are guys from outside, who are coming in and kind of taking up like taking the opportunity to push a rival agenda. So that'd be like ISIS, Al Qaeda, the those kinds of guys. Right. Yeah, they don't necessarily care about what the partisans and the militias care about. Uh, they're just looking to spread their thing. Uh, you know the. The, the Sandinistas in South America would be another example. Yeah. And then uh, militias would be like remnants of the military, right? Yeah. Militias are regular. Uh, they, they can be remnants of the, like the national guard and stuff, but they're, you know, what our constitution would de define as a militia, you know, uh, men of fighting age who were citizens were, were armed. And yeah, that's, that's a big difference between them than the partisans. So what, uh, what we've got going on here with culture near 40 is sort of a weird hybrid of partisans and insurgents. Hmm. Okay. Just because the coalition is just taking a little population and flung people over hill and dale and just like deracinated de everything. So where the story picks up is at the Brussels former Royal Military Academy, but now just the, the Brussels Service Academy, where the coalition trains its officers who are stationed on Earth. And they use the old campus of the, the current uh, Belgian Royal Military Academy. But there you start to see the clear dichotomy between how the socks and the grounders are treated, because only socks can actually become commissioned officers. Only they can hold jobs of any importance. So certain grounders are allowed to go there, but they're stuck doing the jobs in the military that are like normal everyday jobs, but they have to wear uniforms and they get yelled at more. Okay, so the, the grounders are doing like grunt work and actual yeah. like frontline combat. And the socks, do they have to like be sent down from one of the colonies? Or, or can not in this like, case, like somebody like a couple of socks got married and had a kid and then he goes to this academy because he wants to be in the military. Right. And that does happen in the book. And those people are given another derogatory name by the socks of the colonies. They are called fell just F.E.L. Fell. OK, that's pretty yeah. cool. I like that. Yeah. And the, the, the fell are socks born on Earth. So other socks see them as kind of losing a bit of their pedigree, like a little refinement of having actually been from space. Right. And they're, they're accused of being more grounder sympathetic, having grown up around them, but uh, yeah, they, they can still become officer cadets and hold important jobs. But you know, now that the coalition has uh, been in the business of actually administering the earth for 40 years or more, there, there are a lot of fell because a lot of socks have to live and work on earth to oversee the grounders. 
But uh, like, like I mentioned, uh, they're still outnumbered by actual grounders that uh, the Sox have to rely on, at least in some capacity, to make things work. But yeah, they're, they're highly supervised by technology and by Sox. And yeah, they're, they're limited to uh, service positions. They can't be in leadership. They can't get the cushy cherry jobs. Right, but somebody's got to clean the toilets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So at the Brussels Academy, there is a history club. Now, the only people interested in the history club are are the grounders, because like you said, the coalition has no sense of history. Right? You know, they think they're they're the end of history, like uh the Secretary General who named uh CY1 kind of embodied. So it's this basically grounder history club, but it's really a front for an underground resistance movement. Because the guy who is the faculty advisor to the history club is none other than EGE Colonel retired Alan Collins. Okay. Yeah, character from the first book. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. So it's kind of got this, uh, not the Warriors, this uh, Wolverines kind of thing going on where somebody you know who was involved in the thing comes back and now he's working for the bad guys and he's leading everybody okay <clears throat> so yeah it's actually a front for a campaign of blackmail sabotage and uh, even even some terrorism against the the local socks so these guys while working under the radar managed to uh Spark scandals that get a couple of governors removed from office. You know, snap, snap, nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of stuff. Uh, they're just able to come up the works because at least one of them has a job on the nearby air base. Because the Sox have turned the Brussels International Airport into, uh, they, they like basically attached a spaceport and military air base onto it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's kind of a power hub for the, the area, but... Uh, so uh, the student group, the HLO, the Human Liberation Organization, just, just fucks with them. Yeah. I love that name. <laughs> I, I, like, I absolutely like love that name. Because implicit in it is that the socks ain't human. Exactly. Just like it says everything that you need to know with just right there. Three three little letters. Yeah. <laughs> now, Collins isn't actually their, their leader. He's just kind of their Obi-Wan. He's their sagacious uh, conciliary and advisor. Their leader is this this crazy seventeen year old asshole named Arthur. All right. Yeah. Who uh, you, you guys can who have read the first book, the first chapter of Coaching Your Ford is available in the back, and it focuses on uh, Arthur's brutal upbringing in the Colorado wilderness in preparation to uh, to lead the HLO. It's also available on my website BrianNewmar.com. There's a free preview, and also through the Indiegogo campaign link, I give uh, two sample chapters of CY40. But uh, yeah, with with Arthur, he's basically raised from toddlerhood by just this tough as nails, stern, uncompromising EGE veteran in a cabin in the Rockies. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and you know, with the understanding that okay, you know what? Uh, so you want to eat? You go out and kill it. You want to go explore your environment? That that's fine. You know, go go out there, build a house, paint a self-portrait. But here's the thing. Should you 
like be chasing down a rabbit and slip on a path and fall and like break your back. No one's coming for you. We'll get another one just like you. Thanks for playing. Oof. Yeah, so just okay, no so mercy. This is, where the, this is where the Ender's Game thing comes in. Yeah, and uh, then one day, um, little Arthur is uh, is out there exploring his environment and uh, climbing up to the peak of the mountain so he can see the impact craters from the sock asteroids out across the plain beyond the foothills. He realizes, oh no, I'm, I'm going to be late if I don't get back right now. So he's just rushing headlong back down the path and manages to make it up onto the first step of uh, like the hand-hewn log cabin he lives in with this crazy bastard and realizes, oh no, I'm, I'm like two minutes late. You know, that that's a bad one. Uh, so <laughs> he goes in to face the music and instead finds the uh, grizzly old dude he's been living with who he knows only as the captain. That's the only form of address this that knows this guy, but doesn't even know his name, is standing there holding a puppy. Like a bouncy, little curly-haired black puppy dog. And Arthur's overjoyed. He's like, oh wow, you know, my my first not only uh you know plain companion, but the, the first sign of affection I've been shown in my life. This this is great. And then the captain pulls out a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and gestures over to the woman in the blue jumpsuit, bound and gagged, tied to a chair in the corner. And he just holds out the gun, looks to the gun, looks to the woman, looks to the dog, and Arthur understands the choice. So, takes the gun, realizing, like, either you use it on her, or I will use it on the dog. Jesus. And, uh, well, it's helped along in making his decision because at that point, his personality fragments into two. Okay. And we get the cold, calculating, ruthless Arthur who is able to do what needs to be done, but then we get the friendly, outgoing, almost saccharine, sweet, ebullient Tom. So it's some Tom Stormio and Arthur Wake. And the captain tells him, all right, look, we're going to be sending you to school soon to like live among the grounders and the socks. And you're going to need to be Tom. Most of the time, people can't know what you really are, but at the, at the right times, you need to be able to let Arthur out because he can do what Tom can't enjoy your dog. <laughs> I'm like, always be, yeah, always be Tom around the dog. I'm not getting you another one. <laughs> That's nuts. So was the woman just like, a sock she was just like somebody that it didn't matter like yeah she was a sock she wasn't human it was okay yeah okay i got you i got you so she, was, she was lower than the dog and they, they that, that, uh, so they have that that um uh what would you call it uh the kind of psychological view of the socks like not only are they not human they're like subhuman these are like Absolutely. these are yeah. like morlocks they're, they're bugs. They're, they're ants. Yeah, they're, they're just like, we're better than them because we're grounders and, you know, it's perfectly okay to do whatever you want to them whenever you want, as long as you can get away with it. Yeah, it's imperative, in fact. It's a, it's a moral duty. Oh, wow. To do horrible things to them. Yeah. And that's where this comes. Yeah, I wrote this book because, okay, when I, 
when I've been getting, I've been getting feedback about the first comment from Maxine, and lots of people telling me, man, I, I hate the coalition. I hate the Sox. I really would, I'm just itching for them to get theirs. And so I'm saying, okay, be careful what you wish for, because <laughs> my prime goal in writing coaching your 40 and in writing Arthur specifically is to make the reader pity the socks at least a little bit, at least the fleeting, like, oh, good Lord, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> Great. Great. Let's put it this way. Remember everybody who said that. You asked for this when you read. I wrote at least you asked. I heard at least one crucifixion scene. Let's put it that way. Holy shit! Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm uh, a. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm intrigued. Not exactly surprised because I mean, you know, if you see people as less than human, like why why not? So yeah. if that's if that's the kind of mindset that you have, of course you would do horrible, terrible things to people like crucify them and stuff like that. So, you know, <clears throat> it, it totally makes sense. And I'm I'm glad that you're kind of turning it around because in the first book, it really seemed like you were making the socks just bastards, just utter, complete bastards. Just there isn't one likable human being, um, like what we would consider a human being, like a, an affectionate, loving person with a soul. It's just all like psychopaths and monsters and marauders up there in the space stations. And now you get like you get to put these people in some saw situations and it's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, you get the reader has to stop and think like I was really hoping to see these guys get theirs, but not like this. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's it. And also because the phenomenon of the fell have emerged, you do have. Socks in name, who who are colonists, they're citizens of the coalition, but they they were born, they they lived on Earth their their whole lives, and they do have more empathy. So there's one character, um, Ruth Sternman, who is actually the daughter of the coalition deputy governor of Western Europe, who is attending the academy to uh, train to be a doctor. She wants to be a, a medic in the coalition defense forces, and she does show concern for uh, one character in particular, uh, a grounder uh, computer whiz named Simon Trent, who's only 15, but he uh, was accepted to the Academy on a, a scholarship for his uh, programming expertise. And he, he gets hazed and bullied by the, the sock jocks. And she actually tries to if not necessarily intervene on his behalf, show again, show some remorse and tells people, look, I'm sorry for that. I'm not like that. I, I don't see him any differently. So she's actually, she does have a soul. She does have some redeeming qualities. Okay. But again, Arthur doesn't care. But yeah, Arthur is not in the business of, of caring about what the, what the socks and the fell think. Right. He just, and he doesn't, he doesn't draw that line. He just, he just sees socks. So there, there's that conflict, but but then so you start with this utterly bloodthirsty, ruthless, calculating chess master. Okay, now throw in at least four giant advanced death machines that are nearly indestructible and carry lasers meant only to be used from orbit. <laughs> it sounds like a, that in the mix. it sounds like a recipe for a fun time to me that's exactly what it is especially when they realize the laser can't be stopped 
and probably should be fired horizontally in a city. <laughs> yeah, so the character. That's that's brilliant. I cannot fucking wait to read that scene. <laughs> yeah, the character, the, the pilot, as he sees what he's done, like a single tear rolls on his cheek. He goes, "It can't be stopped." <laughs> oh, you should not fire a laser horizontally in a city. Oh God. Not a six megawatt uh, space laser, no. No. <laughs> this is like, you know, capital ship kind of weapon right here. Well, I classify that more as anti-air or anti-armor. Because we, we get to see the capital ship version. Oh, okay. So you, they, it's not like... So the space... Uh, the socks actually do have a navy. It's not just like... You know, they have the uh, the combat frames and then regular troops and then shuttles to get them back and forth from the colonies to Earth. They actually have, like, capital ships and fighters and things like that. Yeah, they do. We get to see some of that. It's it's mentioned kind of offhand in the first book, uh, partly in, like, the front and back matter, because I think uh, Tesla Brown even says something about uh, a combat frame gives you power equivalent to a a warship, but in a more compact form. So that was part of the uh, justification for for the rationale for building them. But uh, no, they 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 do have warships. They have destroyers and cruisers and carriers, and uh, there there are fighters. Like if you look on the Indiegogo page, there is an example of a of a fighter. Now. Uh, skirting around spoiler territory, if you read the first book, you know that the Coalition actually was behind creating the first X-Seeds. They were initially built to help eradicate mankind. But uh, the the good guys got a hold of at least one of them and, and turned it to a good purpose. But there are also hints that the X-Seeds weren't the end of the line. They they weren't meant to be the, the ultimate output of, uh, of this genocidal program. There there was something else that they were kind of the test beds for. And in Coalition Year 40, we get to find out what that was. And it turns out the four X-Seeds in the book were proposed targeting systems for this thing. All right. That's intriguing. Yeah, so they're numbered the XCD 101, 102, 103, and 104. Mm -hmm. And the way they get their numbers is how close they came to being the final approved prototype of this targeting system. So the 101 is the targeting system. The 102 can serve in a pinch. It can take over for the 101 in that regard. And then the 103 and 104 were just kind of like essays in the craft. Right, I got you. <clears throat> but they can all completely flatten the major metropolitan area. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, just kind of basing off, like, knowledge of Gundam and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, a Gundam can and has flattened major metropolitan areas. And if these things are roughly on the level of one of the more advanced Gundams from, like, Gundam Wing or something like that, then, yeah, I would, I would kind of expect them to be able to go fucking hog on New York City and not really have a problem. 
Yeah, they're 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 a little bit worse actually. And I honestly didn't set out at the beginning to do this, but uh, I've been consulting with a couple of physicists on like the, the weapons and armor technology, and the real world science actually dictates this. We we talked last time about carbine and graphene, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the exceeds armor is made of. And uh, just to give folks a, a quick recap, graphene is a 2D allotrope of carbon in like a, a hex pattern that is so tough that uh, it takes the force of an elephant perched on a pencil to puncture it. But then it's also a superconductor. Then there's carbine, which is one-dimensional graphene. So it's a string of carbon atoms, just one atom thick. And it's even tougher. It's even more resilient. So the exceeds have 1D carbine armor in, in layers, like, like 100 layers. And with the Gundams, the Gundams and Gundam Wing are made of Gundanium alloy, which uh, is ridiculously resilient against like conventional kinetic attacks. Like you're really not going to find a, a bullet or a shell that's going to punch. But like everything in Gundam, they're still vulnerable to energy weapons like plasma, lasers, directed particle cannons, that kind of thing. That uh that's kind of the Achilles heel of every mobile suit. Well, the Xeeds found a way around that because graphene being a, a superconductor, it can bleed off like a third of the destructive force of an energy weapon contact into an onboard capacitor before the, uh, before the attack can do significant damage to the combat frame. So it still gets hit, but it like charges its battery off of this stuff. It gets hit. Um, a third of the energy is lost, like to uh, through like air resistance in the atmosphere or through the cooling effect of space. Then a third boils away one layer of carbine, and the other third goes into the battery. Okay, so it still it still does damage to them, but they have like all of these different layers of this stuff. So you would have to have like a Gatling laser or something to burn uh, yeah. a, Gat- a Gatling laser and an afternoon and a twenty four pack to burn through one of these things. Yeah, you'd have to hit the same exact spot like a hundred times to get through the, just to get through the armor. Okay. Yeah. So, and they're and they're just as resistant to. Uh, kinetic weapons as Gundams are. So they're darn near indestructible. Now, the first generation of X-Seeds, the prototypes had a limitation in that... Um, and these are, one, these are the X-Seeds. These aren't like the regular combat frames. Right, these are only the X-Seeds. Okay. Got yeah, so the, the 1D carbine armor is, at least for now, a defining feature of the X-Seed class. So the initial X-Seeds had a built-in limitation because they didn't really have time to refine it. And so, first of all, they can absorb pretty much any energy through their armor, including radar, so they were invisible to radars. They showed up as like a a radar contact the size of like a quarter. But when their capacitor was full, if they couldn't absorb any more energy, they become visible to sensors. But then also, the only way for the the first run of exceeds to bleed off energy in their capacitor was to shoot it through their, their main plasma weapon, which 
is highly visible. It gives away your position if you're shooting off a big old beam gun. Yeah, I'd just say that make a scene. Yeah, and while the capacitor is full, well then, 60% of the energy of a energy weapon attack is directed against the armor instead of just 30, 33. So 66 instead of, of 33. Right. So they, they become more vulnerable to energy weapon attacks. Uh, with uh, what I'm calling the 1 series, so the 101 through 104, they got around that problem. So, for one thing, their their weapons are powered, they have the ability to be powered directly off of the Exceed's internal generator, as well as the capacitor, so they can drain their weapons, they can, they can drain the capacitor both through their weapons, but they don't have to wait for their capacitor to charge before they can shoot. So they basically unlimited ammo for the ones that shoot energy, while still being able to absorb energy directed at them, and then also each one has its own kind of special means of uh, bleeding off its capacitor to make room. So one can discharge all the energy in its capacitor in a massive broadcast EMP that can shut down any combat frame up to like a Grand Mark III and just fry grunts on the ground. Others just have like a thin hairline laser that they can just uh, point out into space like a, like a microwave beam and uh, free up some energy in the battery. And unless it's pointed directly at you, you're never going to be able to detect it. Okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, then one and of them... Uh, and that's real? You could, like, you can actually do that, like, in real life, right? If you had the equipment, you could you could do something like that right now. According to my advisors, I mean, I'm not, not an expert, but uh, uh, according to my advisors, I mean, yeah, uh, graphic art conductor... You can make wicked high-capacity batteries and capacitors by folding a graphene sheet. Um, Got to be careful if it comes unfolded involuntarily, though. But I, 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 would, I would imagine that would hurt. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you could definitely uh, use a laser microwave transmissions like tight beams to uh, to broadcast energy. So... I mean that's that's been one proposed solution to our energy problems on Earth. I believe is like uh, having uh, like solar collection satellites in orbit that then beam the power down to microwaves. Hmm. But uh, the fun part for you is that it makes these things just ridiculously dangerous. They're they're super hard to kill, and they can uh, not only dish out their damage, but they can do judo jujitsu. They can take the the uh, the punishment you throw on them and just throw it right back at you. Yeah. It seems like these things are like, whoever has these things is basically going to win. Like they're just indestructible. Well, as we've seen in history, like when the tank was first on uh, numbers beat novelty of equipment every single time. That's a good point. Yeah. On the one hand, you've got these, Four like next generation indestructible combat frames, just uh, you know, traipsing about the countryside, leveling everything in their in their path. But uh, they still need to be resupplied. They still will need maintenance, ammo. The way you said that, it just like I just saw like the sound of music, <laughs> but with giant fucking robots with lasers. 
Me too. <laughs> and that riding his telepathy. Storytelling his telepathy. So good. That's how it's intended. But uh, yeah, they've got you know a few billion people to deal with, right? Yeah. So is is uh my geek. So, so eventually if you if you throw enough people at this thing, it's kind of like the uh the Imperial Guard tactic. It doesn't matter what anybody else brings. If we just throw a million Imperial Guardsmen down its throat, eventually we will clog its works. Yeah, I mean, or a nuke. I mean, you can still take these things out with a nuke, but, I mean, the problem then becomes collateral damage. Yeah, you know, do you really want a nuke, like, New York City just to get this one guy and his giant robot? Yeah, and there's space rocks. You could use a mass driver just to drop a two-kilometer asteroid on him. But again, then you create other problems. But, uh, I mean, the coalition's done it before, so they're not above that. (laughs) So... HLO still has to deploy their exceeds judiciously and select targets carefully. Yeah, because I mean, you know, it's it's that balance between, you know, we wanna we wanna do enough damage to hurt them, but we don't want to do enough damage to where they will justify dropping Australia on top of us. Yeah, although that little wrinkle is somewhat ameliorated by the other thing, the 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 real terror weapon for which the exceeds were just devised as you know, the, the GPS systems of the rangefinders. <laughs> that should give you some idea of the scale here that these death bots I just spent 10 minutes describing to you in gory detail are glorified radar systems for something else. Damn. Okay. Now, now you've definitely got my attention. I mean, you had my attention before, but now I'm. <laughs> Now I'm starting to feel a little hot under the collar. <laughs> yeah, and so... I, I can't imagine what the what the bigger thing is, and I'm really looking forward to getting a hold of the book so that I can find out. Good that I, I've done my job. Hopefully, your listeners feel the same way. And I'm more than glad to give them the chance to read the book. So I urge everyone to back the Indiegogo campaign now, you get early access to the book as well as a bunch of crazy awesome perks. I'm adding more all the time. Yeah, it's, it looked like there were a couple more since the last time I checked it. Outstanding. So, yeah, where where is it right now? You're up to almost 200% of the goal. Almost. And, and I'm, looking at that, I'm looking at that fighter... Uh, like I didn't see the pictures at first, but you know, you mentioned that there was a an example of the fighters up there. I'm looking at that. It reminds me of like when the Transformers went to Cybertron back in the '80s cartoon. Yeah, yeah, very, like they they took on their real shapes instead of trying to hide with Earth technology. And yeah, that looks like like Starscream. That was the first thing that I thought of was Starscream on Cybertron. Well, well Ardan has done his job because that fighter actually is a Transformer. Oh, really? So it's got a uh, a little bit of the um, Macross going on. Yeah, you see the uh, see the the mech next to it with a similar color scheme. Oh, the uh, the blue one. Yeah, the gray blue one. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I see the resemblance now. Yeah, that. Oh God, this is gonna this is gonna kick so much ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fun fun story. So Art and on designed the the fighter config, mm-hmm. and then. Todd Everhart took that and said, okay, I'll hold my beer. And he broke the plane apart and said, okay, how do I use every part of this thing to make a robot? And he did. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Uh, these guys are just genius. They should they should work together yeah. on like a fucking comic book or something. They they should because watching the synergy between them has been just jaw dropping because like Art and I will have an idea. Todd will be like, "Whoa, I really dig that picture." Well, what if we do this for the next one and come up with something just insane? And then Art and I says, "Oh, I like that, but how about this?" And then tops it. And they just go back and forth, and it's this feedback loop of awesome. <laughs> you probably could put like if you can get both of them to agree to it, you probably could put like a comic book at the, like the, the big high tier <coughs> just so you could pay for all of yeah. the art that it would take. But yeah, you probably could get a, a good couple of comic books out of this. I'm still hoping to do it. Um, I definitely plan to do more of these campaigns and uh, if, if we continue our growth, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to the movie one day. <laughs> yeah. I've had people coming to me and say, man, dude, you need to get Sunrise to make like an 80s, 90s style anime out of this. You need to do at least a six issue or oh, six yeah. episode. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. blow just, anything going today out of the water. Just like an OVA, just for this. Like, you kick Gundam's ass all over the place. Yeah, Ben Wheeler from Superversive SF, in his review, which you can read on Amazon, I encourage you to storyboarded out the OP and EP for a speculative Combat Frame X Seed. OVA and it it's mind blowing. I mean he he nails all the highlights. I'm gonna have to go and check that out. I'm um, I'm definitely gonna have to go and check that out because this is th there's there's all so much potential here, but you're you're being very careful about how you're organizing things just to start out with. Like this might get to like 15 books before it actually get. I mean, like if there's not a uh a Monster Hunter International TV show yet. I, I can't say whether or not this would have, you know, the same amount of popularity when you're at the same place that Larry Correa is right now, but I have, I have hope. <laughs> I want to believe, put it like that. Yeah, hope is the, the um, wishing for something with the expectation of receiving it. I, it's, yeah. it's a possibility. It is a possibility. So I won't, I won't count it out. I'll just admit that it's kind of like pie in the sky a little bit, but. It's not out of the question within the next 20 or 30 years. Well, I'm being patient. I'm being careful. And patience obtains all things. I mean, we'll probably have to wait for the current paradigm in television to go the way of the Dodo be replaced by something else. But Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I can't name a single studio or anyone apart from, like, like you said, maybe Sunrise um, or the guys behind uh, Gurren Lagann, maybe. To, to handle something like yeah. this. I mean, Larry aside, even Scalzi can't get a TV show made. Think of that. Well, nobody would watch it first off, but that's kind of... <laughs> well, it, in fairness to him, they don't necessarily care about that, but he's just, he's not woke enough. Amazingly. Shockingly. Yeah. But that's okay, because... Uh, the, the more fiascos we have, like uh, Last Jedi and the upcoming Captain Marvel, the more chances for disintermediation. And I mean, the barrier to entry for your average college kid with a red cam and a copy of Final Cut Pro is getting so low that uh, I just like with any publishing, we'll be able to do our own. I mean, you've kind of always been able to do your own. Like, Evil Dead was made on a shoestring. 
you know, so oh, yeah. it's it's possible to do it, but with something like this, it would require like at least CGI, if not. I mean, I would prefer practical effects, like you know, stop motion, but that's also really expensive. Um, so I don't I don't know. We'll we'll have to see where it's at in a few years, but right now it's it's looking up. It's definitely looking up with the amount of interest that you've got. Just you know, off in our little corner of the internet. <coughs> All, all it needs to do yeah. is, is break out and get to the rest of the people who like giant robot stuff. Yeah, yeah. Something really needs to be done. I, I don't know. That's that's the problem. I mean, if, if we had an even playing field and guys like Jack Dorsey and Jeff Bezos weren't throttling descended creators, the sky would be the limit. But, no, I mean, I've been shadow banned on Twitter... I have good reason to believe that uh, Google's throttled my blog traffic. Oh, really? Yeah. So I mean, it's not just me. There, there are other guys who've gotten totally, totally exiled from white society. So, I, 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 I do know we, we need some kind of antitrust proceedings, or some kind of executive order, Internet Bill of Rights, uh, prosecute these guys as publishers under i think it's section 230 of like the open internet act or something like that like basically back in the 90s so folks at dc amazingly exercise some foresight like huh this internet thing could really be big we'd, we'd better protect it and the idea was that okay if you're a publisher like a newspaper publisher right then you're subject to libel laws depending on what you say you know, you you could get sued if you slander somebody. Yeah, like if uh, if Saliza at CNN wrote an article about how Trump rapes babies or something, then you know, lacking proof of that, he would be subject to like defamation and libel lawsuits. Right, and uh, what what this act did was say, okay, we don't want like I don't know, at the time forums and message boards where users show up and are generating the content, you know, we, we don't want the owners of those services to be, uh, to have a uh, legal exposure to like a uh, slander and libel. So that's why nowadays uh, guys like Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey don't, uh, don't get deemed for, you know, hosting ISIS and stuff or, or yeah, saying that Trump is a bedwetting Russian bot or something. Right. <laughs> Because this act gives them immunity from that as 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 forms. And it was two, it's for the purpose of fostering lively and, and open public debate. But I think you can see the problem is that these social media platforms are not fostering open and public debate. They are censoring people and muzzling them and banning them. Well, yeah, I mean it's not even about fostering it, it's about throttling it. Like they don't have to go out yeah. of their way to you know, say you guys should come over to our website and have a discussion. I mean, t it's not like Twitter needs any help getting people to use its platform. Well, now they do because yeah. recent practices, but like a, a couple of years ago, it's not like Twitter needed any help with getting people to use their platform. All they had to do was just sit there and be impartial. And if someone put up something that was actually illegal, like snuff or CP or something, just take it down. Yeah. Know, and, and that was and report the people to the FBI. You know, and that's that's all they had to do. But no, they have to get involved. Yeah, that was the impetus behind this law, which was okay. 
as long as you guys just provide this forum and stay impartial and allow for free speech within reason, you won't be subject to libel laws like a publisher. But as as any honest legal observer will tell you, they all long ago violated that law. They are directly curating content, which makes them publishers. So mm-hmm. I mean banning, the government... banning people like Roosh and Tommy Robinson and you know, uh Jordan Peterson got his account his Google account shut down for like I don't know, all of 10 minutes before people realized, oh shit, he's got a lot of money. He could sue us. <laughs> and they put it back up really quickly. Um, or, right, even, yeah. or even Vox Day being uh, being silenced by Amazon. I think that happened for a while, a couple of times. Yeah. And that's the point. What Vox realizes too is these people only, the only language they understand is lawfare. Like you, you need to make a rubble bounce, you need to hurt them. Well, the government has all the lawyers and all the money. And by their own law, they really should be cracking down on Facebook and Twitter and Google and Amazon for violating this act because these guys are behaving as publishers by the act of doing, of of censoring these people, of of throttling people and banning them. They now become content curators. And they've even said as much. Like, they're like, well, we want to create a diverse and progressive and safe environment. Sorry, you're, you're curating content now. You're not letting people show up. And exercising free speech. Yeah. So you you can they're having their cake and eating it too. But and the problem is they've got people in in Washington in their pocket, um, which we saw with oh, the yeah. with the uh, what was it the the Jack Dorsey hearing um, before Congress, I think. And you know when Zuckerberg yeah. went up there and looked like fucking Data from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that was a chance for uh, for Congress to meet their bosses, basically. Yeah, pretty much ask them ask them but, some really tough hard hitting questions um but the thing is it doesn't have to come from congress uh the executive branch actually has quite a track record for trust busting i mean look at uh taft and roosevelt mm-hmm. yeah i was so, about to say roosevelt so yeah taft actually did more really taft spent most of his presidency in the supreme court arguing antitrust cases he was hardly ever in the white house I'm going to have to look into Taft. I don't really know. Like, he's one of those presidents that I never really looked into all that much. Cool dude. Uh, he was our ambassador to the Fiends. But all, he his lifelong ambition, to, total tangent here, but I love talking about this guy. He wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. That, and, and, like, missed the mark so hard he wound up in the presidency. No, he, he eventually made it. He, uh, I, I'm almost certain that after the presidency, because yeah, he was, uh, Ambassador of the Philippines, vice president under Roosevelt, and president in his own right. And pretty sure he did finally get that seat on the bench on SCOTUS. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm just sorry. I, I don't mind diverging like this because I'm a huge fucking history nerd. <laughs> yep. He was the 10th chief justice of the, of the uh, United States. Sorry, he was chief justice, in fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> So yeah, he had a, uh, a, a quite a lot of power in his lifetime. Yeah, he was basically checking off all the all the, the top spots. Uh, Vice President, done it. President, done that. Chief Justice, done that. Governor, done that. Damn. That dude was a machine. It's crazy. 
it would it would I have to admit it would be nice if Trump would leverage a little bit more of that power into not you know into taking these companies to task for censoring people especially since you know the the larger internet um had a hand in him getting elected in the first place people like Ju- Julie like a big step would just yeah. be pardoning Julian Assange but apparently he yeah, can't really. be, he can't be bothered to do that yeah or uh Snowden or reinstating Alex Jones, who's who's been just hurled into the void. But yeah, he he needs to do something. We need an EO or some kind of uh, antitrust lawsuit, or he's going to get crushed in twenty twenty. I don't think he realizes it. I don't know if it's if it's that bad, but I do. It's that bad. I, I do know that the. Uh the news lies about him all the time. Like I say, I, I catch hard bastards live streams whenever I, whenever I can, he does news aggregation and commentary. Um, and he shows videos from CNN and NBC and ABC and all these different places and articles from various different, uh, news organizations. And the amount, the amount of just lying, just like flat out, they'll have people get on and say things that are untrue, that they know are untrue. And that, yeah. that goes out to millions of people you know, not just worldwide, but specifically in the American voter base that are just lying. Like the uh, the amount of people that think that Trump pissed on a bed in Russia <laughs> in front of, a, or got prostitutes to piss on a bed in Russia is like, it's frankly embarrassing. So it, yeah, yeah I agree. It, it would behoove him to do something about this before shit gets out of hand. Yeah. Imagine, think, think, think of 2016 and now, Take away Alex Jones, take away InfoWars, take away Ann Coulter, take away Milo, just all, you know, take away Stephen Molyneux, all the guys that were in the alternate media standing up for him. They're, they're being picked off. Slowly but surely. Yeah, and they're, they're going to ramp it up. I mean, the, uh, the, the 2018 congressional elections were a dry run for it, and... Uh, had mixed success, but they're, uh, you know, they only got one house, but they're constantly refining their methods. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's... But yeah, that this, diverged way too, I mean... <laughs> well, I'm going to bring it back, because this kind of blatant propagandizing and uh, technocratic manipulation is how you get the SOC, folks. Not wrong. It's how you get Space Nanny State dropping rocks on you. Not wrong. Um, you know... I, I look around and I'm very worried about uh, pretty much the way that the country is going, like not just, you know, un, unfiltered immigration uh, like the Democrats want, but, you know, just just the way that the like violence is being fomented by major media organizations. And, you know, <laughs> that's going to require some kind of because if the cops won't protect you, like what happened at Berkeley, then you have to protect yourselves, which is what the Proud Boys did. And then they got hauled into court for it. And, you know, if defending yourself is a crime now, well, there's only so many ways that this can go. Yeah, creating a a large, mostly male underclass of people who just can never get a job again and can't have a bank account. Not not really the recipe for stability. Not really, no. That's not that's not really good. Like, I don't know what they assume. All these people are just going to go away and die in a ditch somewhere. And... That's like if you look at history, that's not the way this kind of thing has ever happened at all. Yeah, you don't, you don't know the scary thing. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking. They're they're not thinking ahead. They're um, 
they're, they're not uh, arch political manipulators, you know, Bond villains stroking a, a hairless cat and, uh, you know, the, with, with a conspicuous scar. No, they're, they are, Just kind they're, they're your heretics. A, your average moron. Yeah, they're, well, they're zealots. They're, they're motivated by religious sentiment. Hmm. Okay. By piety run amok. And that's that's an interesting perspective because I've been saying for a couple of years now that the SJW thing, um, it really does resemble a cult. Because um, I I studied I studied religion in college. You know I know that's a weird thing for an atheist to go into, but you know I studied religion in college and I looked at all kinds of different um, different religions. Like there's certain tribes that believe that their ancestors' souls, when someone dies, their body goes into a fish and they release the, uh, the soul into the afterlife by catching, cooking and eating the fish. And it could be any fish, but that's the one that had their, their dad's soul in it or whatever. Um, or even groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses or, uh, the, the Jonestown people and things like that. Um, it's very, it's very cult-like behavior. These, you can show them reality, um, and they will go ahead and deny it just flat out to your face. They will accept contrary propositions that you cannot hold at the same time and just wick away the cognitive dissonance like it's like it wasn't even there and go on about their day like all of their positions make sense. Like, for example, you have like Kamala Harris, who voted not to protect newborn babies um, from be, from basically being neglected to death. Um in, in the hospital, essentially. And then she'll come on Twitter and talk about, you know, we have to protect these these children at the border. We care about we care about the kids at the border and everything. And it's like, you, you know, you, you get that these are two completely contrary positions to hold. And we can all see you. <laughs> we can all see you holding these contrary positions. So it's, yeah, very, it's of... very much like a religious fervor that they have where they will just believe in all of this insane shit and not even really consider it. It is. There was a UFO religion in Chicago in the 1950s. Oh, I think I've heard of these guys. Um, this wasn't the Heaven's Gate people, was it? it wasn't Heaven's Gate. But, uh, I'm, I'm trying to look up their name right now. I know uh, the leader claimed to be receiving messages from the planet Clarion. Oh, this but, sounds so familiar. Yeah, but they... Oh, let's see. Is this it? Turns out it was the fillings in his teeth picking up radio signals. <laughs> yeah, the Seekers. The Seekers, led by Dorothy Martin. Yeah, this, yeah. Does, this does sound familiar, but yeah, and she claimed that uh, the the world would end on uh, December twenty first, nineteen fifty four, the stroke of midnight, but that uh, the the guardians would send a mothership to pick up the faithful. Now, of course, that didn't end up happening because we're still here. Right. But what do you think happened with Dorothy and the Seekers? Did they realize their beliefs were wrong and disband and go do something productive with their lives? No, I misinterpreted the signals and it's actually coming on this date. Or, you know. Right. They, they, uh, the belief was only strengthened. So, yeah, that kind of resistance to disconfirmation you see from cultists is exactly what the modern left is doing. But they're taking it to another level because not only are they just blatantly holding two contradictory positions at the same time, they, they don't care. And they're, and they're doing it purposefully. It's like it's now become like almost a liturgical rite or 
a form of burning your pinch of incense to do that. Yeah, virtue signaling is kind of like their morning prayer. Yeah, or uh, on another level, these absurd hate crime hoaxes. Those are really funny until they turn out tragic, like that one trans person that like burned their house down and killed like five pets in it, like their their own animals. They just burned their own animals alive because apparently LGBTQ issues weren't being taken seriously enough. So I have to kill my pets and burn my house down and burn everything that I own to yeah, get people to take me seriously. Just... Yeah, not seriously. Uh, Jonah Goldberg actually had a, a good take on, uh, on on these hoaxes. He said, look, Jews and gypsies living in Nazi Germany didn't have to stage hate crimes. And if they did, when they were reported to the authorities, you know what the authorities would say? It's like, oh, oh no, someone spray painted a swastika at my door. Yeah, and? <laughs> Slam, right? <laughs> no, the, the, the only reason that you, you fabricate hoax like this is because you know the powers that be will show you sympathy and take you seriously. Yeah. Like, it, it, none of this would be necessary if it was actually happening. Like, if there were actually yeah. roving bands of magapedes running around Chicago beating up black guys and pouring bleach on their faces and calling like them homophobic slurs at 3 a.m. and negative yeah. 20, there, there wouldn't yeah. be any white guys in Chicago. The, <laughs> the gangs would get together and just take them out. Like, it, it's not... If it was actually happening, they wouldn't need to fake it. And if it was actually happening, then all of these different hate crimes would... Because we live in this age where everything happens so fast. And as soon as something happens, everybody knows about it. Because everybody is connected to everybody else via, like, 18 orders of separation. But we're all still connected. So word spreads like wildfire throughout the internet. So if somebody had actually done that then it would be very easy to find them. Like, I've seen I've seen SJWs yeah. on Twitter. Like, some 80, 90-year-old woman will be sitting next to a black person and tell them that they, they look nasty. And then it's immediately on Twitter. Like, they'll film that happening yeah. and then put it up on Twitter, and it's like, let's find this racist asshole and make her sorry. And they've got her name, her address, her children, her grandchildren, everything. Yeah, that's why if you're still like busily writing blog posts and articles, try, trying to understand the SGWs, or you're even worse, trying to convince them and reason with them, right? Like, because, hey, as soon as you point out the 1,776th leftist inconsistency, the bald eagle named freedom will swoop down and take you up to the libertarian paradise. <laughs> no, exposing hypocrisy doesn't work. They they don't care. They take pride in it. Yeah, I kind of realized they're not this, rational. I, I kind of realized this around the time the the fiftieth time I saw the wage gap debunked, and it's very uh, easy to debunk the wage gap, but they just keep going and keep going and keep going despite the fact that everybody knows it's bullshit. Yeah, um, dude, loosen the bow tie. It's cutting off your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you're never going to get through to these people. No, no. I mean, and there are there are some people like I'm not going to say that all of that effort goes to waste because there are some people out there who will be brought around by rational arguments and inconsistencies in their view of reality. There are those people, but they are a very small number. 
you know, they're like ten uh, percent. Yeah, like Hard Bastard was a Jehovah's Witness, and he escaped from the cult because of things like that. Um, him and him and his buddy, who also runs H and N with him, um, there's still like how many people in the Jehovah's Witnesses, despite all of the inconsistencies that they see on a daily basis. You know, there, there's a lot of people out there that you're never going to be able to reason with. Yeah, and that's where rhetoric comes in. And for a while there, we, yeah, you know, during the meme wars, we learned how to engage with SJWs and win every single time. But they just responded like the Russians did in the Napoleonic Wars in World War II. They just retreated to their safe space, but then went scorched earth. On and everywhere just, else. Yeah, they, they burned down the territory we took. So yeah, they just re- retreat behind a block bot and get Jack to uh, to ban the offenders. Mm-hmm. And so, like I say, it's not it's not a hot war, it's not a shooting war, but it is a war. It's you know, as much as I hate to use the cliche, it's an info war. <laughs> no, it is. It's a it, it's a propaganda war, and and again, talk about a cliche, but. People need to wake up. Like, Boomer Khans and Normies just... I know they don't want to wake up. I know the conditioning is strong. I know it contradicts a lot of what you've been told your whole life, but everything is at stake. Because the thing is, SJWs don't want to win. They're, they're toddlers seeking boundaries, right? They, they're, they desperately, on a deep limbic level, want to be told no by an adult. But for some reason, we've arrived at a point where there, there are no adults in the room anymore. Yeah. It's like that guy. I'm, I know you saw the video, the guy who kicked that chick in the face in like Ontario or whatever it was at the uh, at the abortion anti-abortion rally. Um, she she was filming him and he tried to kick her phone out of her hand, but he just like cocked back and ah. kicked her right in the face. Ah. As soon as his foot made contact with her face and she hit the dirt, you hear him screaming, I meant to kick your phone. I meant to kick your phone. Like he knew for a fact that this was going to be a problem that somebody an adult was about to come down and punish him for that he was about to get arrested he was about to get charged he knew that the law was coming um and it seems like that's the only way to like get through to some people like that is just like there have to be consequences for these actions and if they're not the spoiled kid is just going to continue to be spoiled now of course i don't endorse violence i'm trying to oh no of course not. I'm not, I'm not yeah i'm not violence. saying go out and yeah. go out and shoot people or anything or beat people up or nothing like that i'm just saying there there have to preferably preferably legal consequences where we have a court system and they are proven guilty in a court of law in front of a jury of their peers that kind of thing yeah but that's a problem we have a total leadership vacuum we're just no one wants to be the guy where the buck stops no one wants to take responsibility no one wants to make a choice Right. No, nobody wants to stand up and say that's wrong, and you're gonna have to take your medicine for it. That, and when they do, they're immediately destroyed for it. Yeah. Like, so I don't know, know if it's Alex just Jones, a... Gavin McInnes, Milo Yiannopoulos, to an extent, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, those. But those guys aren't authorities. No, I mean, they're, they're not. They're not authorities. But I mean, whenever somebody stands up and says yeah. "buck stops here," um, they are okay. they are taken to task for it. Yeah, they are. And you know, what I'm talking about is our elites, okay, our ruling class, because contra American Americanism propaganda, we do have one. We always 
have had. The difference was that the framers of our Constitution said, okay, you know what? Instead of having our elite be hereditary, we're going to give everybody a shot at the top. And that way it's a meritocracy, the cream rises, and the, the best and brightest of the lower class get a chance to be in charge. And it, it worked for a while, but uh, somewhere along the line, our elites just became totally disinterested in noblesse oblige. And you know, they're so disconnected from us that they actually hate us. It's like uh, Bill Maher was saying the other day, uh, talking about the difference between uh, the, the folks in the coastal megalopolises and the guys in Flavor Country. It's like, well, we we have Chef Wolfgang Puck and they have Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Chortable. You know, smug liberal laughter. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's not just them. Like you see it in even even when them they're they're working with their own constituency, like that video of Diane Feinstein. Um, yeah, and the, they had all of those kids jump her. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a total political assassination moment. Like this was this was a- Alexandria Ocasio Cortez acolytes trying to jump Diane Feinstein and get the neolib out just like end her fucking career with with the left um and she just looks like she just despises them now i i understand that there is a little bit of taking out of context there but i'm not about to sit here and defend diane feinstein um but yeah that's that the attitude that she had towards these kids just being arrogant and dismissive of their concerns and like i've been doing this for a long time and you don't know anything so you know just yeah, let me years. handle it and yeah. yeah it's like she obviously thinks that she's better than them even if she wasn't being as mean as the clipped videotape makes her look right but yeah again appearances are everything these days and uh well i can travel around the world before the truth gets its boots on so, but, but then the, the truth is often muzzled by the willing accomplices in, in the mass media. So, yeah, I mean, we just, we, we can't trust internet gurus or even elected politicians to save us. The, the former don't have the power and the latter just aren't interested. interested. They decided it's someone else's problem. So what if this country's going to hell in a handbasket? I won't live to see it. I got mine. You know, I got my nice paycheck from, from Google, right? So I'm living large. Why why bother getting involved when it's, you know, it can only hurt me? Yeah. Our, our rulers no longer think it's, it's worth it to, to raise a finger in anyone else's interest but their own. And again... I mean, I've seen because, I've seen a couple of people like try and get their balls back. Like Ted Cruz has been doing very well since the 2016 election, since he lost the primaries to Donald Trump. Um, he he seems to have taken a couple of notes out of Trump's playbook. And uh, after John McCain died, thank God, um, Lindsey Graham suddenly remembered that he has testicles. Um, so yeah, he did only to I mean, Kevin, he was great, but then he. Tr- and imported yeah. forever war in the Middle East. Yeah, and that pissed me the hell off, because I was actually starting to help me. I was actually starting to like Lindsey Graham there for a minute during the Kavanaugh hearings, but then he had to me turn too. around and, was, oh, or that, that fucking Dan Crenshaw guy who just got elected, the, the Marine with the with the... Oh, the oh yeah, yeah the, 
the big boss looking guy. Yeah. 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 He like comes out with all of this great rhetoric and talk and he, he looks like he knows what he's talking about and he does really well on Saturday Night Live and he looks like he's actually trying to create a bridge with these liberals who are, you know, just look down on people like him. But he's like, hey, I can take a joke. You should be able to take a joke, too. Let's sit here and joke about each other. And then he comes out and he's like, we can't pull out of the Middle East. We have to kill everybody. And I'm what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Well, like you were doing so well. Was a politician anyway? Those those are his true calls. He knows what side his bread is buttered on. Oh yeah, these guys know the score. It's just they're paid not to change anything. I can believe it. I can believe it. I haven't seen any receipts, but I, I can absolutely believe it. Especially with the fact that they didn't swear like Zuckerberg and and um, Jack Dorsey in. When they when they brought them into those hearings, just oh, oh, we're going to let you lie. It's fine. No, no legal reprisals. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Shameful. Well, it is. Things are going to get really interesting. Hopefully not quite as interesting as in Combat Frame X scene, but. Uh, the future has yet to be written, except in my book. It's <laughs> comical to detail. And it's a lot of fun. You should, you should get it. Yeah. Wow. We went off for like, damn, like a half fucking hour on that. Um, I don't have that. Yeah. I, I definitely don't mind. I like, I like discussing politics with, uh, with people who are, um, I don't want to say intelligent enough to understand it because that makes me sound like a douche, but <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that it's just not worth talking to them about it. You know, like, well. Like I had this, I had this moment over Christmas, um, with this guy on Twitter. It was about abortion, and um, I had said something to the effect of, "This is obviously killing a child. You know, if it's not a human, then what is it?" And he was like, "Well, all of the science says that it's not." And I'm, I just stopped, and I was like, "I'm not going to get anywhere with this guy. Like, it doesn't matter what I say. He's still got that blinder up. Um, so I'm just going to say, look, I know we're not going to get anywhere here. So I'm just going to." part ways right now and i hope you have a merry christmas and a happy new year and he was like all right same to you and we just like kind of went our separate ways and i think that might be the nicest interaction i've ever had on twitter with somebody i didn't know um but yeah yeah it's just like there's some people out there that it's just not worth talking to this stuff about because you're going to be at loggerheads the entire time you know there's there's no compromise point but well, like, it, like you and I disagree on on certain things and we can sit here and talk about it like the whole like is there a god thing you're you're going to outclass me on that cuz you're a theologian but um <laughs> you know we disagree about that but we can sit here and, and we can talk about it or we can talk about other things and we can have a productive discussion like that but certain people are just hostile and it's not worth really getting into a conversation with them Yeah it's it's again it's that uh, immunity to disconfirmation that guy was arguing from an article of faith. Because no, science doesn't say that. Science can't say that. It's not in the realm of science to classify what is and what is not a child. That's in the realm of philosophy. Well, I mean, but, I, I think it's in the I think it's in the realm of science because it's it's a living being. Like it's got its own DNA, it's got its own brain, it's got its own heartbeat. And if it's not a human life, then what is it? Is, it, is she growing a dog in her stomach? Like, you know, so it seems to me like science confirms the whole, like, it's it's a child. But, you know, I, I also see the philosophical argument for it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you're right. Science, empirical science can provide 
grist for the mill of, of metaphysics. Okay, it's it's a valid source of of evidence, but getting from an is to an ought. Yeah, is that is definitely the purview of philosophy. Well, right. It's like, hey, this is a human child, and it it's immoral to kill it. Right. That's yeah. That's that's, been, that's a step that's beyond science. Science is just meant to deal with like basic facts and like what what is and what isn't in the natural world. It's not meant to be like, all right, so what should we do about these natural facts? Yeah, because when we point out like, oh, well, it's got a its own like distinct DNA, then. Uh, yeah, you just got like a you know, hand waving, like oh, but it's well, not viable outside of the womb or something. Yeah, like that. so does say that to me. Yeah, so does another person, or like if you got a, a liver transplant, so does the other person's liver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they, they fucking love science. <laughs> they they fucking well, love the science. Because <laughs> yeah, no, they keep telling us in every fucking Marvel comic that comes out ever. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about transgenderism. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> There's a fun discussion that won't get either of us blacklisted. <laughs> now they're coming for us either way. But yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, thanks. I'm glad you have a good time talking to me. I, from experience, I, I am one of the ten percent of the population who is capable of changing his mind based on new information. Because I've, I've changed my mind on many things a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, I, I I try to not be intractable and actually look at the things that people are saying, but with some people, it's just like I realize that I'm a hostile person, right? Like I I totally get that I'm I'm a dickhole, especially on Twitter. But you know, if somebody actually comes to me and wants to have a discussion, I'll have a discussion. But somebody like Kamala Harris, it's not worth sitting there and trying to talk to her because she's got a million people bartering for her attention so why not just be snarky on twitter and you know talk to other people about how dumb she is <laughs> fair enough so uh was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with the book i know you're not going to reveal the ending to me or anything like that we do want people to read this thing but was there any uh any other points um i think we had left off on the super weapon that shall not be revealed unless you actually go and back to kickstarter or buy it on amazon <laughs> once it comes out but was there anything else that you wanted to reveal about it i think i'm going to keep any other info on the plot in reserve at this point uh however some publishing news okay yeah as i revealed on the uh, superversive podcast the other day originally i had said that uh my minor showing of combat frame vaccine was planned for four books now Having gotten deep into the writing process of Coalition Year 40, a couple things became apparent. One, that to tell the story in the way that it deserves would require an ethereal-length tome. Right? I'm sitting here just thinking, like, please say more books. Please say more books. <laughs> All right, find more books. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. Yeah, I'm going to split uh, Coalition Year 40 into two. Okay. And then Continue with coming from X seed S and coming from X seed double S. So there can be five total. All right. So is uh is the second part of Coalition Year Forty is that uh part of this Kickstarter? Or are you going to do its own uh, campaign for it? I'm going to have to do its own because one of the reasons I do the pay for the cover, it's going to need a cover. Okay. 
Yeah, that that makes sense. Also, you know, yeah, new, new opportunities for new trading cards and stuff like that. So. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, I need to... Uh, I mean, there, there are some costs still involved in publishing because being my own publisher, I have to accept all the responsibilities and costs that a publisher does. So, you know, formatting, editing, covers, advertising, so, you know, promotional art. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to do one for that, too. But uh, I'm, I'm going to give my loyal backers a rest so you can save up some paychecks, save your pennies, your couch cushion change. Uh, you know, maybe go on a cigarette or beer fast, you know, buy one less pack or uh, or six pack a week. I don't know what, what do we need to do, but I'm going to give you uh, give your some time to recharge because uh still got to finish this book. Got to get it released. Got to do the promotion on that. And then starting the next one. So luckily, I didn't realize there is a natural, perfect dividing line right in the middle of the story that will make a, a great natural ending point for Coalition Year 40. But it'll, it'll make it more of a kind of a downer Empire Strikes Back kind of to-be-concluded ending. Oh, so a little bit of a cliffhanger there, like Han Solo is uh, trapped in Jabba's palace and... You know, Luke gets his hand chopped off and finds out Vader's his dad and stuff like that. Right. It comes at a, a low point in uh in the character's heroic arc, but it's uh it it's still a nice little punctuation mark. Okay. Where you still get a complete story with a complete beginning, middle, and end up to that point. And then the second half also is more of the, the rise from the low point, but it also has a complete beginning, middle, and end. Because novels are made up of multiple short stories starting together that each have their own beginning, middles, and ends. So it, it works out. Yeah. I, I really have to say now that I've started like taking the craft of writing seriously, now that I'm reading um, with an eye to how people structure their stories, it really is gratifying to find somebody like, uh, like Johnny Boyle who wrote Queen's Air. Like when you go and read that book, it, <laughs> each chapter of the book reads like its own short story it's not like oh this is the setup for the next chapter because every chapter is the setup for the next chapter it's that old right. that old jack ketchum thing the first sentence is meant to get them to read the first paragraph and then the first paragraph is meant to get them to read the second paragraph and on until you have chapters and and so on and so forth but it's nice when you could just take a chapter out of a book and put it up online and say this is a cool story and there's more of it um right and that's how it's done you know, and it's it's really interesting to see how different authors do that and how they how they structure their chapters. Um, and I'm kind of trying to get into that as well. I'm working on this uh, uh, this one story. I'm I'm actually doing the thing that you and Adam Smith and a bunch of other people have uh, have recommended to me and doing an outline for it. Um, uh -huh. So I'm I'm kind of trying to structure each chapter as its own little short story that tells this bigger story of this like Punisher style, Mr. A vigilante, this Rorschach type character who's not mm -hmm. insane. Um, he, he actually has like a morally, like I'm, I'm not going to weigh the book down with philosophy and everything like that, but he actually does have a morally justified reason for going around and, and killing all of these like murderers and rapists and gang members and stuff like that. Oh, cool. So yeah, I, I really do have to thank you guys for uh, for hooking me up with the secret sauce of of the outline. <laughs> well, on behalf of all of us, uh, it, it's our pleasure, and I know that uh, you know all those guys 
not only uh, find it enjoyable, but uh, an obligation to help up new aspiring authors. Uh, Godspeed. And on behalf of the new and aspiring authors, we sure as shit appreciate it. <laughs> Good. So uh, was there anything else that we needed to go over um, before we kind of wind things down or? I think I'm good. I actually got to get back to work providing you guys with more quality entertainment. All right. That sounds like a plan. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. I'm definitely looking forward to the new book, man. Good luck with the, uh, with the Indiegogo. Thank you. And remember everybody link is in the description. Go check it out for all of your modern mech needs that aren't just retreading the fucking Xeon war for the 30th time. <laughs> is that what we're up to? Wow. <laughs> is it? I think I think so. I think there, there's been like what, like thirty, forty Gundam series. Of... <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, but all right, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and kill it here. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show, man. It's always fun talking to you. Zion did nothing wrong. I I believe they didn't. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll catch y'all next week. Don't forget, go check out Brian's books. And uh, there will be a link to his blog in the description if you want to check out his Soul Cycle series and various other works that he's done. But uh, yeah, all right. I'll uh, talk to you later, Brian. Good night. Night. All right. Well, that was the podcast, everybody. Thanks again to Brian for coming on the show to uh, promote his new books. And be sure and go check out his blog and his Indiegogo campaign for Combat Frame XC Coalition Year 40. Now... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the sponsors and get out of y'all's hair. I think we've taken up quite enough of your time just rambling. Um, so, without further ado, if you like what I do here and you want to help me out, there are a few ways that you can do that. Uh, the first up is you can go buy your copy of Dimension Bucket Magazine, Volume 1, from Gumroad. It is not up on Amazon yet, to my knowledge. I will talk to uh, Christopher Warren about that. But it is up on Gumroad, and uh, you can find it over there for $5. And they have various different formats, uh, like documents and PDFs and that kind of thing. So you can choose how you want it downloaded. And all of those come standard when you actually buy the magazine. Uh, I'm not sure if Gumroad gives you... Uh, multiple downloads but I can't see any reason why they wouldn't but yeah I do have a story in there um, it is a kind of horror science fiction fantasy story set in the swamps of Louisiana uh, dealing with uh, snake people and an organization that has devoted themselves to protecting what's left of the Confederate States post-Civil War normal United States history timeline post-Civil War, by the way, from fantastical uh, and wondrous threats like snake people who want to summon a dark god and bring about the end of the world. So uh, that's that's a good story that you can find over there if and you want, uh, along with all of the other great fiction and nonfiction that we've collected for this magazine. You can just, you can see the amount of talent that we have just from the names on the cover. So five bucks, great fiction, Great nonfiction. Can't beat that deal with a stick. Next up, we have the Planetary Earth Anthology by Superversive Press. Uh, I have a story in this book as well. It is about a couple of guys who get trapped in a lost world situation on the Antarctic continent where people ride dinosaurs and they're alien creatures running around and they get into a chase on velociraptors with a, uh, with a Tyrannosaurus Rex 
I, I enjoyed it, and John DeLaRose said that he enjoyed it too. So if that sounds like an endorsement to you, it sounds like an endorsement to me. So uh, go and pick that one up if you want to help me out with that. I do still get royalties off of that. I have a Kofi. If you want to be more direct about it and just toss me a couple of shekels, you can do it over there. Uh, should be a link on the blog. Uh, I have done books six, seven, and eight in the Cat Kimbridge Chronicles series, uh, the audiobooks for them. So if you are into military science fiction with a strong main character who is also a woman, I saw Paul Barkhivis talking about this today on Twitter. It shouldn't be strong female character. It should be strong character who is also female. Uh, so if you want a strong character who is also female, uh, along with various alien races that this man has made up of whole cloth with some great, great dialogue and uh, setting writing and things like that, really well fleshed out universe, I highly recommend this series of books, and you don't have to start at book one. I didn't. I started at book seven. But I enjoyed book seven and eight so much that I went ahead and bought the rest of the audiobooks for them and listened to them uh, and enjoyed them greatly. So, uh, yeah, if that sounds like it's uh, your thing, go and check those out. There's There are links on the right-hand side of the blog. Next up, we have the Dimension Bucket Media Books. This includes the magazine, but the magazine's kind of its own little project. Now we have uh, Three Little Snowmen by Timothy Willard. Uh, we have <clears throat> The Phoenix on the Sword by Robert E. Howard. Uh, we have Darkest of Dreams, Hell's Five-Minute Tales of Horror, and uh, various other books that we have put out and are looking to put out in the future. We also have The Showers by Dylan Sindelar. Uh, so if you enjoy horror stories, this is the place that you want to go for all of the best new up-and-coming indie horror. Uh, next up, we have Aaron Clary, Captain Capitalism himself. He is a former banker and economist who blogs at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Uh, I recently listened to my old podcast the other day, and I had misspoke on that one. It's .blogspot.com, captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. And he has a consulting business that he runs at assholeconsulting.com. So if you have questions about life, the universe, and everything, barring medical and legal advice, you can take it to Aaron, and for a fee, he will give you the straight dope. Uh, Aaron also has several books out, a few of which I've done the audiobooks for. Most recently, I did Poor Richard's Retirement, which is a treatise on how it is possible to achieve retirement in today's economic environment via minimalism. A lot of good information in that book. I also did Enjoy the Decline, Accepting and Living with the Death of the United States, which is a book about how to, uh, how to properly gear yourself up mentally uh, for the coming decline of the country. Um, and I also did... Reconnaissance Man, which is about how you shouldn't jump immediately out of high school into college. You should take a couple of years, earn some money, figure out where you want to live and what you want to do and where is the best place to do that, and then follow your dreams instead of getting laden down with $100,000 of student debt like a bunch of other, you know, fucking idiots. Point at myself here. Um, <laughs> take my word for it. If I had had this book in high school, I would be in far less uh, debt than I am right now, so far as uh, student debt goes. So go ahead and pick that one up. He also has Curse of the High IQ, which is for those of you who feel that you might be smarter than the average bear, um, and you're having some trouble adjusting to normie society. This book is built to help you cope with uh, the various personality problems and issues that you might have by uh, having a higher than average IQ. Next up is John E. Boyle. John is the author of the excellent novel Queen's Air. That's H-E-I-R, as in the heir to the queen, not the heir that the queen breathes. 
Um, it is a fantasy, a sword and sorcery set among the Hittites at the end of the Bronze Age, which is not a scene that I see a lot of authors tackling very often. Um, and he does it very, very well. I'm still working on the audiobook. He wants me to get, in, <clears throat> to get in contact with him about it, and I am going to email him. But the audiobook should be coming out fairly soon here, hopefully, um, depending on what we need to what we need to do to get it to his to his standards. But it is an excellent book, and it has everything that you could ask for in a sword and sorcery novel, including swords and sorcery. Uh, there are ghosts, demons, uh, giant armies clashing travel, it's got fantastical sites, big cities, countrysides, uh, fantastical races like elves and certain ones that he created on his own to my knowledge. It has dragons. Um, it's, it's a very, very well put together and well worked out book. He really did his research on the cultures of these areas and the technology that they would have and things like that. It's, it's very well written and I highly recommend that you guys go and pick it up if that sounds like your bag. Next up we have the affiliate accounts. The way that the affiliate accounts work are you click the button, you go to the website, you buy whatever you want, you don't pay anymore, and it doesn't cost the seller anymore out of their profits, but the website that you are using to facilitate this transaction is going to give me a kickback out of their profits of your transaction for sending you over there. So first up is Amazon. If you have any shopping that you want to do on Amazon.com, get some of these amazing books that I've been telling you about or various other projects. I know that Brian Niemeyer has several books out on uh, Amazon right now. Uh, then I would appreciate it if you would go to my blog first, jimfear138.blogspot.com, and uh, click on the Amazon affiliate link, and then do take care of all your shopping, and uh, you'll be helping me out. You'll be getting some cool stuff, and you'll be helping Amazon out. Not that they really need any help, but... The principle is the same. Uh, next up, we have MyComicShop.com. This is your one-stop shop for all things comic books. If you are interested in old, used, new, big to indie, basically anything that's not on Indiegogo right now, <laughs> you should be able to find on MyComicShop.com. Uh, I've been using this service for years, and I've never had a problem with it. They always get me my comics on time and undamaged in very nicely worked out protective packaging so I highly recommend their service especially if you're looking for some more obscure comics like I usually am because I'm a fucking hipster douche like that <laughs> but uh, if that sounds like something that you would be interested in go ahead and check them out there's a link on the left hand side of my blog next up is right stuff anime which is kind of like mycomicshop.com for weebs but it deals more with current things so they don't necessarily have something that's been out of print for a while that somebody is just selling out of their garage, but they will hook you up with stuff that is currently running or is incredibly popular and still in print. If it's in print, they probably have it. So, you know, your Dragon Ball Zs, your Cowboy Bebops, your Goblin Slayers, um, your Overlords, that kind of thing. They also have uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and various other products as well, including hats, t-shirts, jackets, body pillows, Nendoroid figurines, Gundam figurines, the uh, 1-8 titty figurines, uh, they also sell porn. If you're into paying for porn, you can pay for porn over there. Why you would, I have no idea, but they sell it. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, check out rightstuffanime.com. Stuff with one F, but you can find them on the affiliate link on the left-hand side of my blog. Next up there is advertising on the blog. If you would like to advertise on the blog, it is $20 a month. Get in touch with me via the contact form on the left-hand side of the blog, and uh, we will get it worked out. This comes with a post on the blog about your thing, a banner ad on the blog about your thing for a month, 
various postings on my social media accounts over the course of the month to promote your thing. The valuable ones, at least. The ones that I still use. I haven't touched my Tumblr in a long fucking time, so it probably wouldn't do any good to put something there. And I will also do a audio and, if you want, a visual advertisement for you that you could fit into your podcast feed. I will put it in mine. Um, and uh, you could put it up on your YouTube, your Vimeo, your BitChute, uh, your BitTube, I guess. I don't know what all of the video streaming sites out there are, but uh, if you want, I will make you one, and you can put it up there, all for $20 a month. A lot of value. Get in touch. We'll get your thing promoted. And lastly is a band camp. Uh, the band camp is where I'm putting all my independent narration, so if you want to hear what I can do um, without high-quality master, just my regular quality, uh, without the high-quality mastering of Dimension Bucket Media, uh, then that's the place to do it. I've got a couple of old horror stories up there, including The Haunter of the Ring by Robert E. Howard, uh, and The Judge's House by Bram Stoker, as well as some old creepypastas from, like, 2014 and back, back when I was still doing those. Those were anonymous ones, though, so I'm not worried about anybody coming and calling, but we'll see how that goes. But they are they are up there, uh, so yeah, you can go and you can go and pick those up. Once again, you'd be helping me out. Uh, but that's it, that's it, everybody. Links are in the description for all of Brian Niemeyer's things. Be sure to support his Indiegogo, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace out. <laughs>